Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 14 of Revelation chapter 11. And we're going to be reading from Revelation 11, verses 10 and 11. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. All right, we we saw in our last couple of studies how the unsaved people do rejoice over calamity that they perceive strikes the the kingdom of heaven, God's people, and uh, we looked at a few scriptures that that have that word in it, and I just want to take a quick look at the word Mary and also gifts before we um, talk a little bit about prophets, and then we'll uh, move on to verse 11, probably not in this study, but in in a a study, uh, maybe our next study. So we looked at the word rejoice. Now, the word make merry is uh, a word that's found in Luke 15. And this would be in a positive way. In Luke 15, it says in the parable of the prodigal son in verse 32, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. The word glad is the same word as rejoiced, also in Revelation 11. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The father is speaking to the elder son, explaining why they were celebrating, why they were rejoicing, making merry. And and so making merry and rejoicing go hand in hand. But just like rejoicing can either be positive or negative, so can making merry. In Acts chapter 7, in Acts 7, it says in verses 40 and 41, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. Now here, Acts 7 is recounting Israel's history, where Stephen is being moved by God's Spirit to to give account of the history of Israel. And he's talking about the time when they came out of Egypt and Moses went up to the mount to receive the, the Ten Commandments and Israel fell into spiritual idolatry, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we what not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Here, the the English word um, translated as rejoiced is a translation of the Greek word that is translated make merry in our verse in Revelation 11.10. 
And, and so that was completely, um, evil. It was wicked, uh, merriment. They, they were rejoicing over going after another god. And that, uh, again fits with the idea of rejoicing over the, the apparent end of the witness of God in this world when the two witnesses were lying dead in the street. Okay, now going back to Revelation 11.10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. Now the word gifts is is used uh, concerning that which is offered along with sacrifices. When we look up this word, it's it's used that way several times. And it's also used in a very interesting way in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there, it is reference to a gift of God that has to do with salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that faith, not of yourselves. That is, the Bible teaches us that we are saved through the faith of Jesus Christ, and not our own faith. Our own faith would be a work, and and no man is justified by the works of the law. But now, however, in the setting of the death of the two witnesses, where the unsaved people of the kindreds, tongues, and nations, the, the Gentiles that have overcome the churches and congregations of the world, led by Satan. Now, um, at, at this point, they are rejoicing and making merry. And remember, we've seen that both of those things, rejoicing, uh, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, the uh, father of the prodigal son, makes merry and rejoices because this my son was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. So both of those words can be related to salvation. And so too the word gifts. And now we can understand also what's going on within the churches and congregations. The Gentiles... The, the unsaved that now populate the church are developing their own gospels. And, and now, uh, there is rejoicing. There is making merry when people walk down the aisle. There, there's, um, sending gifts of faith one to another when people profess to accept Christ. When they say the sinner's prayer, when people are baptized, they're, they're sending gifts of salvation one to another. It's all man-made. It's completely, um, idolatrous. It's completely, 
false. There's no actual salvation taking place. But this is the condition of the churches and congregations of the world. After God's Spirit is left, they they do not recognize, nor do they admit that God has abandoned them, but they continue on manufacturing their own idol, their own golden calf of salvation, where where now uh, they are the ones that are are telling their membership, "You are saved," and and they have become, they think, the the pillar and foundation of truth. They are imparting salvation, and. And it's all uh, uh, a lie. It's it's all untrue. But uh, this is what God has allowed them to believe. He has sent strong delusion that they might believe a lie. Well, uh, let's go on to the end of verse 10. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And it was the truth of the Bible that was the source of the torment not not the bible itself if if the bible is used wrongfully that doesn't torment anyone remember god tells us in timothy that uh, the law must be used lawfully and when someone speaks forth what the word of god says it must be done carefully comparing scripture with scripture, harmonizing with everything else in the Bible. And when that is performed, then the Bible becomes that source of torment to those that are listening. And and when God's spirit is uh, behind it, and the Lord once again did get behind the sending forth of his word outside of the churches for for about a period of 17 years until uh, Judgment Day came and began on May 21, 2011. But these two prophets tormented them that dwelled on the earth. Let's take a little um, detour, not not very long or very far away. It, it is uh, what we're going to look at in keeping with the reference to two prophets as the word of God is prophecy. And when God speaks of prophets, yes, there was the official prophet in the Old Testament that God gave his word to, like Jeremiah, Daniel, and and others. And there are no more prophets like that. But even into the New Testament era, God utilizes his people as prophets. And, and a prophet in the New Testament era is simply someone who speaks forth the truth of the Word of God. And the Bible is prophecy. When we share its truth, we are prophesying. And and so there can be true prophets today, and there can be false prophets today. Just like in, in the time when the Bible was being completed. There could be true, or there could be false. Of course, at that time... Since the Bible was not yet completed, God gave a test. The test was, if a prophet speaks something in the future, and and if it comes to pass, well then, uh, that's one thing you can uh, check, the confirm, 
well, that that would be in line with a true prophet. If it comes not to pass, then it would not be in line. And this was necessary because the Bible was still being compiled. And how could the people know when when anyone said, I have a word of, of God, a word from the Lord? And prophets that were were false did say that just like a true prophet. So God developed a test. Here is how you can confirm it or not. Now that test is no longer necessary once the Bible was completed. There's, there's no need to confirm based on whether a prophecy comes to pass or not. Now everything is based on do they, number one, limit what they're saying, their prophecy, to the Bible. Anyone who goes uh, outside of the Bible by adding to the Bible or subtracting from the Bible is immediately shown to be a false prophet. God tells us that in Revelation 22. We're not to add or subtract from the word or we're subject to the plagues written herein. And those that that do maintain that consistency of staying in the boundaries of the Bible alone and and they're following the proper methodology of comparing scripture with scripture and and still they're not just doing two or three comparisons uh, but they're making sure that a conclusion they they arrive at agrees with everything in the Bible uh, then uh, that is how we confirm if someone is prophesying truly. Now, it doesn't mean they're always going to be perfect in everything they say, but it's the methodology that's important. And And still there could be an area or two wherein they do not have the complete information or the complete truth. And, and so they can be corrected. But then again, if someone comes along and they're not using that methodology of comparing scripture, even though perhaps they're staying within the boundaries or at least giving lip service to that, and yet they, uh, like a church or, or like an individual who professes to, to be a Christian will point to a verse uh, for instance, that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he'll say, see, there the Bible says it. And, all right, he's staying in the boundaries of the Bible, but what is he failing to do? He's failing to look everywhere else. And that conclusion of, of uh, you just believe and you're saved will not harmonize with just a, a great many passages in the Bible that says we're dead in sin, that that faith is a work and and we're not justified by the works of the law and and so on. There uh, there's just dozens and dozens and dozens of verses that will not allow that conclusion. So if an individual insists and and refuses to look elsewhere in the Bible to harmonize his conclusion well then, that's a false prophecy. In the case um, of uh, developing a salvation plan, based on that, you have a false gospel. And and therefore, 
that individual is behaving himself or, or herself like a false prophet. So we can still um, use that terminology because the Bible is prophecy and and we are to rightly declare it. We're to study it, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And and God has given us that methodology. And and so when we come to other things in the Bible, the other doctrines, we we check it out. Are they using the proper methodology to come to their conclusion? For instance, uh, uh, the Bible speaks of a woman not teaching nor usurping authority over the man. And then you have some people today who are influenced by modern society, modern culture, and and they say, "Oh no, no, uh, we we can't, uh, we can't hold back women. We 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 have to let them have equal rights." Well, that has that's fine for the world. That's fine for the the job market out there and and the bible as far as i know says nothing about a woman being president of a corporation or president of the united states or or being on the supreme court but the bible does say that god does not allow a woman to teach or usurp authority over the man as far as the Bible's concerned, a woman's not to teach the Bible. A woman could be a teacher of other women and, and can teach children, but she's not to teach men. That is God's law. And, and again, a woman can be a university professor. She can teach a class of men and women other subjects. The Bible doesn't address that. But the Bible does address this one point and and we're not allowed it, it, uh, to go outside the Bible to look at our present society uh, and where a woman's role has greatly increased and, and there's much talk of women's uh, equal rights. That has no application to what the Bible says. We have to confine our observations to the Bible. And so people who do that... They have developed a false doctrine. And because you cannot, from the Bible, prove that women should teach men and, and, and so on. And that is how we do things today. That is, uh, the nature of a true prophet. He will stick to the Bible only. He will, um, compare verses in the Bible here a little, there a little. He will, uh, then search the whole Bible when he has developed a conclusion to make sure it fits like a piece of a puzzle. Uh, well, uh, let's let's go to the Old Testament, and we'll see that um, a, a characteristic of a true prophet of God and a characteristic of a false prophet of God may be not what some would expect. As a matter of fact, I know it is not what people think. It's sort of similar to uh, people's ideas concerning Satan. You know, the the perception of Satan that is out there in the world. If, if you ask someone 
tell me, describe Satan to me, and they describe some evil-looking uh, man in a red suit uh, with uh, diabolical eyes and a pitchfork, and, and they think of the most evil things, the most evil image they can imagine. Of course, if, if anyone says, describe Satan to me, uh, the, the right response is to say, well, he's a spirit being and, and you cannot describe him. But as far as his actions, his activities, people think also along those lines of, of, uh, darkness and, and, uh, a haunted house or, or, or some place that, that is obviously uh wicked and evil some some dark fallen down building or something like that with rats scurrying down the halls an abandoned building there you'll find satan oh, well what is the truth what does the bible say that he comes like an angel of light and his emissaries as ministers of righteousness it, god tells us that in second corinthians 11 he comes Looking like Christ. He comes not um, speaking hell and damnation. Satan doesn't come saying uh, uh, judgment, 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 wrath, wrath, wrath. He doesn't do that. He comes saying God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Satan comes saying that the Lord Jesus Christ died for everyone and and so on in other words satan comes with with a positive gospel he comes with um trying to convince people that they are saved everybody's saved Christ died for everyone Jesus loves everybody he wants people to have false security false hope false peace. He wants people to have confidence that they are right with God so they stop worrying about it and and thinking about it and in the day of salvation, stop being interested in it. They, They can have that false security, that false assurance, and so he raised up ministers to preach those things, to convince their congregations in various ways, you are a child of God. They promised people life. They sold the, that bill of goods to the members of their congregation. Come down this aisle and and accept Christ and you'll be saved. They even had crusades where there's 50,000 people and a minister who who can uh, make an excellent salesman is is giving a very emotional moving address to everyone isn't it time you became a child of god isn't it time you had that eternal security and he preached a fiery message a, a, a message designed to touch the feelings of people so tears would run down their cheeks and they would get up out of their seats and by the hundreds and sometimes by the thousands they poured down and and they accepted Christ oh what great salvation everybody's happy everybody is full of joy 
There's great love. It's all wonderful. It's, it's all tremendous. That is how Satan works. No message of salvation is of the Lord. No message that we're all dead in sin. And since we're dead in sin, we can't do anything that, that God has to perform the work of salvation in us. If we attempt to do it, it is a work and, and no man is justified that way. No man can actually be saved that way. No true declaration of the gospel because then the people don't come down and, and, and the people uh, are are not convinced of salvation. They're disturbed by true prophecy. They're troubled by the message that God would have his true prophets bring, that, that uh, salvation is in God's hands, and he will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. That, that, that just is not very popular. And if you try to have a crusade with that message, you're not going to fill the seats with 50,000 people. Maybe you can get 500 if you um, have people out there and and trying to get everybody into a conference. Yeah, you can have a few hundred, but you're not going to have 50,000, and it's not going to be televised, and, and it's not going to be widely circulated and and uh, and people are not going to speak well of those that bring that kind of message like they speak well of those that teach easy believism uh, instant putting salvation that is of the world so the world loves its own and and recognizes that kind of gospel the true gospel is not of the world the world does not recognize it. The world hates the true gospel. And and so it will not be circulated to the degree at all that the false gospel is. Well, let's turn to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 22, just to get a little glimpse into this difference of gospels, this difference between prophets, prophets of God and prophets of Satan. In 1 Kings 22, we read in verse 5, and this situation where King Jehoshaphat of Judah is joining forces with uh, Ahab of Israel, and they're going to battle, uh, to Ramoth Gilead, to battle a common enemy. And it says in 1 Kings 22, verse 5, And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of Jehovah today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of Jehovah besides, that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of Jehovah. But I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. 
Now we're going to, um, in our next study, spend a little bit more time here and in a few other passages. But for now, just notice this, that number one, there, there's 400 prophets that are all speaking with the same voice, and there's one prophet that does not agree with them. And that tells us, especially as we'll see continuing to read this chapter, that the 400 prophets are false prophets and the one is the true prophet. It tells us that the majority of prophets are false. And and so you'll find that there's large numbers of theologians, a great many pastors and elders that join forces and they speak with one voice and they say, the church age is not over. They'll come to church and, and then you'll have just a, a handful of believers teaching, oh no, God is finished with the churches and we're to come out of the congregations. Well, this passage shows us that would be in keeping with how God has behaved himself through his prophets in the past. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.